This is the Let's Get Real Estate Show with your host, Danielle Chason. Full-time investor, strategic consultant, motivational coach, sought-after speaker, and host of your number one real estate investing show, Let's Get Real Estate, where real people are doing real estate. Hey, everybody. This is Danielle Chason, and welcome back to the Let's Get Real Estate podcast. I am your host, Danielle, and today I have with me back investor melinda back on the show you guys are amazing um just want to thank you for coming back and taking the time i know you guys are like uber busy um between educating people the courses that you do you guys are all over social media i mean i just can't imagine where you find the time to do all this stuff while investing down south like you're constantly underwriting properties and raising money. And I know how much time that takes. So I just want to say thank you. I know, um, I know uh, time is an asset and we are limited to how much we have. So I just want to say thank you for coming back on the show and sharing with my audience, because I know the last episode, they totally got a lot of value from. So thanks again. Welcome to the show. Well, yes. thank you. Thank you so much. We're happy to be here again. And and uh, we wouldn't be able to do all of this without our large team. So, <laughs> so thank you to every team members that, that we have, because uh, uh, as you grow, of course, that's something that you'll need is a, is a large team yes, behind thanks you. Thanks for having us back, Danielle. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know what? I just want to touch base on that too, real quick. I, I like, I love that is just, that is, I'm going to squirrel here for a minute. That just shows the integrity that you guys have is acknowledging your team because all of this does not happen on your own. As you grow and you create a bigger successful business, there are some business people out there that just take all the credit and it's all them. And yes, I did this and I built that and I built it from scratch and I did this on my own and I did this, you know, but it's not, it's a collective of people who uplift you. And I just want to say thank you for um, being transparent about that and sharing that because that really, sh that shows to the humility that you guys have. And that's one of the things I think that drives people and attracts people to you. Um, sorry, just kind of went on thank a you. rant there. One of my biggest pet peeves <laughs> is people that say, oh, I did this by myself or, oh, I built, it's one of my biggest pet peeves. So I just wanted to acknowledge um, that, uh, we, you know. Well, and and I'm glad you said that as well, because it's not true. There, there's no, uh, there's no one that does it all by um, self-made millionaire. There's no such thing. There's a lot of people that that help them along the way, and the interest. And I'm going to kind of squirrel on you here. Is the interesting thing is when we got into real estate, we wanted to buy buildings. We wanted to create financial freedom for ourselves. And when we realized, hey, we're going to need employees. We're going to need contract workers. We're going to need different team members throughout the world. Uh, that's what helped us really, really scale and not being afraid to spend some money at, at first, your income might go down a bit, but then your productivity is going to go way up because you now have a lot of people helping you out. So, um, but just when people get into real yeah. estate, they never think I'm going to have to build a big team, but at some point, if you scale, you, you want to keep growing. Yes. Yeah. But we've been in all the roles, right? We've been the cleaners. <laughs> we did the dump runs. We did the management. We've been the books. Like we, we had to, as you start often, that's normal. You have to do everything at yourself, but as you grow, we can start delegating more. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think it's really important to know what direction, like what is your end goal? What direction are you going in? Because then you'll know what you need to do and what team members to bring on, right? What is, um, I know this is not at all, we're totally squirreling here, but I'm going to roll with it. Um, <laughs> I didn't even properly introduce you guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay where we're at, though, and circle back and start the show over, I think. But um, what is what would you say was the first team member that you brought on um, that was like the first the first 
person that you brought on that was valuable that really helped you out a lot? And the first, I mean, let's say the first in-house employee was Mel and I were managing. I think we had eighty doors at one point, eighty-four or eighty-seven, somewhere around there. Yeah, and it was it was becoming we were bottlenecked and it was no fun anymore. We're like, you know what, we're done. And then we thought, no, we're not done. We just don't want to do this anymore and continue to grow because we can only handle so much. So we hired an in-house property manager that we trained. Uh, they worked with us. We kind of had concepts and theories and culture that we kind of wanted to, not kind of, but then we showed them how we wanted things done. And then that was the person that allowed us to truly scale. Um, and then we had gotten over 100 units with them. And then last year, because we kept growing and growing the team, we bought 119 units. But it was that property management aspect that as much as we loved it, you can't continue acquiring, you can't continue managing, you can't continue showing units, you can't continue taking tenant uh, comments, questions, concerns, complaints, all that stuff, right? It's just, you become your own bottleneck. Yeah, well, they just, they, there's so much demand on your time when you're doing property management. And even like I flipped houses and then as I was flipping, I was doing duplex conversions, put them in my own portfolio. And even on properties on units that have been fully renovated you think there's going to be no headache but there's still reasons why they call you <laughs> and you need to go out there so yeah. i love that you share that um yeah 84 you went to 84 doors that you were managing yourself before you went to a property manager yeah, yeah. Well, because wow. we grew, and it didn't again we didn't plan it that way but we grew very quickly so we had some properties then yeah. we bought 12 properties in 12 months we had 18 doors or yeah. so and then we bought 56 and so whatever that math is, and then we had, we've kept adding a couple here and there. And... Now we had a lot of systems and strategies in place to help, to help us do that. But then once we started scaling, we realized how, or sorry, once we started delegating uh, more and more, that's when we realized the power of it. And, and now, I mean, we have a global team. We have people both in, in our city that work in our office. We have people everywhere across, across the globe as well that are helping us with, with various tasks as well. Yeah. The power of delegating is so true. Um, and I think underestimated, um, but yeah, I, I say 84 cause I did eight doors. I got to eight doors and then I delegated that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, I'm done. <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't, don't do what I did. Learn from my mistake. We went, went way too long. So don't, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Once you're ready, go ahead and delegate. <laughs> that is so funny. Well, listen, I just, yeah, thanks for squirreling there with me for a minute. But today, what we actually want to talk about today is creative strategies, because I think right now in our environment, in our lending environment, especially in the commercial space, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty um, with coming out of COVID and what's going to happen to the market and the government trying to get their money back from all the, the uh, monies that were infused in the economy. And so I'm finding that uh, the banks are getting tighter than ever. And um, that means us investors are going to be leaning more into creative financing. So, I mean, that is what you guys do. So I want to dive into that. And, you know, um, what were the strategies that you used? Because creative financing is kind of a term, but there's strategies underneath that. And I'd love to talk about those strategies. Where did you find the money? Like, where did you raise OPM, other people's money? Um, and then, um, and then the challenges that you overcame from, from going down that route. So first thing is, um, is it doable? A hundred percent. It's a, it's a hundred percent doable. And we had the same mindset. Can you, can we even do this? And will people who are, nobody knew us. We, yes, now we're all over, all over social media now, but 
Investor Mel and Dave were just Mel and Dave back then. Nobody knew us. We didn't have a reputation. And, and remember that as well. Everybody has to start somewhere. So if you're starting off, you're starting off the same way that we did as well. Um, so we're just really learning about how to speak with them. And I'll give a very brief story here. But remember the guy that we had went seen? Um, was it a, a six book? Six books? I think so. Um Anyhow, so we saw this uh, this multifamily property that we went seeing, and we had discussed owner financing uh, over the phone. But when we went there in person, he just seemed not overly interested. Yeah. And we walked through the disengaged, units. Disengaged, yeah, distant. He was disengaged. Um, and Dave and I were walking through the property and kind of giving you know, ourselves a, the thumbs up behind the scenes. And we, and we thought, wow, we saw the potential in this property. But he just seemed, okay, well, I'll get back to you in a couple of weeks from now. And I'm like, what, what's happening here? Why? I thought we were, we had discussed over the phone owner financing that he would be open to it. And, but when we got it, there. It was almost a done deal. It was just now to walk through the property. But when we met us in, in person, <laughs> it didn't seem to go the way that we thought it would go. So then we're walking back at the vehicle and he was kind of brushing us off and, and felt a little sorry for ourselves thinking like, oh, I, that's too bad. I really wanted this deal, but I can't afford it without without his putting his money to work and helping us fund the deal itself. And then we looked at the van that we were driving and we were driving back then an old rusty van. Um, and we thought, is that why? Does he think we don't have money and we're not going to be able to pay them back? <laughs> and back then we weren't playing, wearing our blazers. I think Dave was in, I don't know, his Nickelback t-shirt or something. We didn't think ahead. We just wanted to go. Um, so I think there was that first impression that we left. So then we thought, okay, well, we have to, we got to show him. So maybe our first impression wasn't the best, but let's show him that we know what we're talking about. So we went in the van, we grabbed our exit strategy that we had looked at because we had talked about this and we showed him the numbers. And as soon as he saw that we did our due diligence, that we knew how to how to crunch numbers, that we knew how we were going to pay him back, then it was a game changer. And we kept talking and, and uh, we closed on the property. It didn't take very long shortly afterwards. And it's funny, Danielle, because he kind of came around. We said it was the van, wasn't it? And he didn't say yes, <laughs> but he also laughing. didn't say no. <laughs> and we said, we get it. We said, we don't buy expensive vehicles now so that the banks, we don't have bad debt. So the banks can't say no because our ratios make sense. That's why we have the old van. And then he said, you know what? Funny enough, a lady came last week and was driving from Cadillac or Mercedes. Mercedes yeah. And I thought the building was sold and I, she hasn't returned any of my calls. So then he, he jokes that I probably shouldn't judge people by what they drive. So it was all, it was all in good fun, but uh, it was a learning curve that people do judge and the numbers ended up speaking volumes in the end overall anyway. And that's a lesson to hear in, in this situation was really learning from, from the situation. So at the end of the day, what he needed to learn was that, or we needed to know is that we knew how we we're going to pay him back. We had our exit strategy. We did our due diligence. We had a plan. We knew how to explain the benefits to him so we can make it a win-win. And that's how we were able to buy that property. Now, that being said, not saying you have to wear blazers, but maybe leave your rock band beer, your <laughs> rock band beer t-shirt at home when you're, when you're asking someone to hold hundreds of thousands of dollars for you. That's actually really funny. <laughs> and you're an intimidating guy to begin with. So I'm <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Well, yeah, and we had flip-flops, shorts, ACDC, and hey, you want to do seller financing? Anyway, we're looking back now, I'm glad it happened because now we can teach people, maybe don't do this. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. 
Thank teachers a little better. <laughs> so there's a there's a couple of things here um, to unpack in that actually. Um, so I think there's a fine balance. You don't want to be oh you don't want to overshow like you don't want to overshow up, but you don't want to undershow up either, right? So like there's a balance in there. Like you don't need the Mercedes, but you do need a decent maybe vehicle that represents kind of that you're able to manage your money ultimately. Um, but you were able to communicate that. What I love about your story is that that specific story is that you didn't just go, oh my God, this guy's an idiot, change his mind and then poor me and then be the victim and then go into that negative mindset and just say, ugh, this guy's wasting my time and then walk away from the deal. You sat back and looked at it and go, what's going on here? It was so great on the phone. What's happening? And you got curious, you leaned into it and, uh, and, and didn't give up and said, you know what, well, I'm just going to do my, do what I do. And you did a lot of education. I know you went down to the States prior and you'd done a lot of education. You knew what you were talking about and you presented that. So I think between communicating and really just pivoting and saying, look, you know, I, I'm going to. I'm going to just blow his socks off. He's trying to like push me out the door, but I'm not giving up. I'm going to like step up my game here. And I think that's really key um, because it would have been easy to just say, oh my God, this guy is, um, this guy has changed his mind. He's an idiot. It, it was the night and day was just, again, we, we had hashed out the deal over the phone. We knew the numbers. He wanted a number. We gave it to him with seller financing. And then as soon as we showed up, it was, he walked us through the events very quickly and he said, yeah, I'm going on holiday for three weeks. And we said, but no, we're interested now. Yeah. Yeah. I'll call you in three weeks when I get back. And we're like, this isn't the same person I talked to on the phone the last couple of days negotiating this deal. And then Mel was really good. Mel put herself in his shoes thinking, okay, what changed? The numbers are the same. We're the same. He met us. Are we that bad of people? Like what's going on here? And then you were good. You kind of like, you had that light bulb moment. Well, also explaining the van could we afford a new vehicle? Yes. It was strategic. And, and I think even explaining that to him, he like, that. can I he go buy a new a vehicle right now? Yes, I can. Um, am I choosing not to? Yes. So that way I can keep my ratios good with the financial institutions. I can get my refinance. Everything was very logical. And once we explained that to him again, that building that trust, right, with, with the private lenders, that's what you need to do is, and, and that's exactly what's combination of showing the numbers, but explaining our, our judgment, uh, why are we still driving that van? And the cool thing again, and, and take this, if you're looking at seller financing or doing any sort of creative financing, tell them why it benefits them. And Mel did exactly that when we spoke with this gentleman. She said, what would you rather us have a old van and know that the money that we could put into a car payment is going towards our rentals, emergency fund, all of that? Or would you rather be competing with our brand new vehicle payment to get your mortgage payment? You know, which one do you feel more comfortable with? And then he was like, oh, aha, yeah, I don't know. Keep the old van. I'm like, exactly, <laughs> right? So it was making it, why is this beneficial to them as the as the uh, uh, the private lender, private investor? And then it, that light bulb went off and he now was happy with the old van and understood our, our, our logic. So, okay. Now I'm curious. What do you drive? <laughs> what do you we'll drive, drive now? Now I have, I have my, uh, I drive an Escalade. So I have my Cadillac Escalade. Um, but that came out after many, many properties. So don't go buy a new vehicle no. right away, right away. No. And the buildings paid for that. Um, and I drive a, a big truck now, and this is something, and, and I'm trying to think back, like when we had talked a, a while back, Danielle, 
this was something, and this is the rat race 101 was, mm-hmm. and I remember being at the fire hall and, and I remember thinking, guys, stop buying brand new trucks. And this isn't bashing anyone, but they would buy the brand new truck or the brand new vehicle or the brand new whatever, and then would not be able to get financing for the rental property. I can't afford it. Well, okay, do the opposite. Buy the rental property first, get a bunch of them, cash flow, and then let the rental property buy you the new vehicle. Uh, but but that's the thing, and, and hopefully your audience can understand, you have to wait for things like that. You have to put your human appetite after the asset can start producing income for you. Because if you put it ahead of time, you're never going to get the asset. Yeah, Sorry, because the more, no, but the more you grow, the more backup money you should naturally have, of course, to be successful. Things happen in properties, as, as we all know. So instead of putting money towards that newer vehicle right away, we thought, let's just take care of our properties let's put the money back to work keep buying more properties and at one point you will have enough cash flow where hey this is now an easy decision i can more than afford this and it won't affect my ratios anymore you're essentially your your properties can pay for all your toys your your trips your dream home you know we did all that we lived in a small two-bedroom apartment when we're when i was pregnant with um with colton with with our little guy we were living in a small two-bedroom apartment yeah. and it wasn't ideal of course i would have preferred to live in a much nicer place but we sacrificed short term to, to to get where we wanted to be in the long term and that's important with creative financing because financial institutions are going to look at your ratios yeah absolutely um and i love how like you said you sacrificed in the short term you know we could even change the mindset on that it's not a sacrifice we uh, strategically planned in the short term in order for a long-term gain, gain. And so I think that's uh, that's really key in order to do that. And when people think of it as a sacrifice, it makes it painful. And so if you just change your mindset and say, you know what, it's it, this is a strategic, intentional decision, so that I can you know gain later. I think that's really key because I, I do the same thing. I always say sacrifice. I'm trying to like get out of that habit. Um, so, yeah, sorry, go ahead. You were about to say something. Oh, I was just going to say, as you were saying that, I, I remember thinking, and it was exciting, because I remember thinking, if we buy another X amount of property that can cash flow at X amount, then I'll be able to have my car. If we buy, or my vehicle, if I buy, if we buy X amount of new vehicles, then we can buy our dream home. Then we can take the kids. Then we can quit our job. So it was almost, it, well, it wasn't almost, it was exciting to set our goals and, and take action around it, because it was it was based on future, uh, uh, what's it called? The delayed gratification. <laughs> and what we would do, Danielle, again, to make sure people are insulated, because I never want people to get into trouble. Let's say we needed $1,000 for that vehicle payment a month. We bought enough assets to make $2,000 cash flow. So the $1,000 would go towards the vehicle and the other 1000 was going towards our, our overall income. So just don't just get the vehicle payment and, and cash flow and go buy it. Make sure, again... You're, you're doubling it. That, that was our, st- our strategy, sorry, is just, again, insulate yourself, be conservative, have a plan B. Don't just go out and buy stuff with your, your rental income. Yeah, 100%. Because you don't know. Like, if you get a vacancy, well, you know, then all of a sudden you're carrying that vacancy, right? So there's, you know, if you're collecting $1,200 on a unit and you've got $1,000, uh, you know, for your truck, well, now you're short, right? Because you're not getting that 1200 And so now you're going to be short. Um, so yeah, I, I hundred percent agree with that. You gotta be strategic in everything that you do. Um, 
So using that, using that, I'm going to, I'm going to roll with that example. What, if you don't mind, what was the strategy that you used? So it was seller financing on this one building with this guy. And I assume you got it. You ended up working with him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so what, do you mind sharing a little bit about the strategy and what that looked like? Yeah, I think he held, I forget the exact purchase price, but yeah, it was a five or six plex and he held, we had negotiated where whatever we didn't get from the financial institution, he was okay to hold the second mortgage. So uh, I think we went to a credit union for that one and they gave us 75% loan to value. And that changes all the time, right? So we've done deals last year. We did deals last year, sorry, where they gave us 65% loan to value. So, you know, the, the numbers fluctuate, but this is for example purposes on this deal, financial institution, 75% loan to value first mortgage. We were completely honest with them. We told them the seller would be holding a second mortgage because they're going to find out anyway. So that's the key as well to finding financial institutions. <laughs> yes, be honest yeah. and finding institutions that will allow for it. If you're going to the big five, 99.9% .9 of the time, they're going to say no. So I would just not even waste your time to second mortgages with them. Um, but yeah, so that was the key. We found a credit union that said yes. The seller said yes, I'll hold up to 25 because that's what you need for this deal, this transaction. And uh, that helped us close the deal. We did still have to pay in full disclosure because we say we buy money, uh, deals with none of our own money. We do still need money. The lawyers still want to get paid and land transfer unless you're in Alberta, still has to get paid as well, right? So full full transparency, you do need some money to close deals on your own. Have we negotiated where the seller has picked it up? Yes, however, that's not the norm. So you do need some funds to close deals. Yeah. And the thing is, this is one example that we're talking about where owner financing, and we do have a lot of owner financing or vendor take back or seller financing, all the same terms. But if the owner for this deal, for example, if the owner wasn't willing to hold financing because Maybe they, they want to cash out. They just, they don't want to hold financing. It doesn't work for everybody. If it's an amazing deal, I'm not going to let go of that property. I'm going to find different ways that, to fund the deal if the deal can sustain it. And this is where using secured funds such as RSPs and TFSAs, for example, um, here in Canada that we, or for one game in the States that we can use to fund the deal or promissory notes as well. And that's how we continue to grow our portfolio. Sometimes it's owner financing. Sometimes it's, uh, Mrs. RRSPs, sometimes it's a promissory note, sometimes it's a combination of a few different ones as well as for the transaction. So I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. Like as you're talking and you said you explained to him how it worked and it was going to cash flow and what your exit strategy was. Like if this worked, then why would he want to sell to you? Why wouldn't he just keep it for himself? Because if it's such a great deal, why not just keep it? Yeah, absolutely. Because we are at a different stage in our career than he is um at some point we may decide that hey we're, we're done we don't want to own anything anymore we're gonna we want to sell so it doesn't work for anyone for everyone but for him he he was retired he wanted to cash out um so he was ready to sell and he liked that that we had an exit because that showed him that he knew that he was going to get paid for him instead of just selling it to through a realtor he saved um he didn't have to pay an agent. So he saved money there for himself. He got to defer his taxes, which benefited him quite a bit. And also we paid him interest monthly for, for the loan as well. So that's why he chose to do it, but you're bang on. It doesn't work for everybody. Some people want to take that money and buy the next one. Some people just want to hang on to their own property, but there are people who are in a situation where they want to sell, um, but they're afraid of that tax because they're going to get taxed when, when they sell. So that's why they want to do it. Gotcha. 
So you also mentioned about going and doing promissory notes or raising registered funds in order to secure. Um, where do you, like, if I'm just starting out in real estate, nobody knows me. And back then nobody knew you. Like, how did you locate those people? How And, and how do you sell yourself to say, hey, look, give me $200,000 and uh, I'll give you 8, 10% on your money. Like, how how does that work? Yeah. And I mean, owner financing, you're going to be approaching them and they have a reason to because they're connected to the property. So that's in a way a little bit easier. Um, and then we started off with, with some owner financing. But with with the other methods, there's a lot of people. There are lenders who are looking for deals. And this is the key. You need to find the good deal to invest in. And then you'll be able to find the people who have money, but they don't want to find the deal. They don't want to have to worry about property management and tenants and all those types of things as well. So once you have a deal and 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 I mean, we were very driven by that. Like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to tell everybody I know. And we just started more and more letting people know what we're doing. We're using creative financing strategies. We're looking for lenders. And although friends and family quite often for most people don't do business with friends and family, and, and that's very typical, that means that you as an investor have to be willing to to speak to people and, and, and to let people know. And, and that's where we started more creating our social media. Um, that was one of the reasons that, that we started. We told people, hey, we're buying properties. And, and people just got to, to know us a little bit from seeing us online. We we just started attending real estate conferences, talking with lenders, going to landlord-tenant boards. Those are not landlord-tenant uh, landlord, We had to go that, to that, that, that as well. But landlord I mean, the, yeah, landlord-tenant association. Yeah, association. Yeah. Um, going to those types of events. The other thing too, Danielle, which makes it, and, and yes, it, I used to think the same thing. There's no deals. There's no money. There's so many deals out there. There's so much money out there. And that's something that someone will say, well, how come you share your secrets? Aren't you worried? No, we're not worried. There's so much out there. We win the lottery tomorrow, Danielle, you, and so do we. We're going to buy a different type of sports car than you are, right? It, again, not everyone wants the same thing. And I'll touch on two things here, the win-win. And I'll also touch on what you were saying earlier in, in the podcast, Danielle, the, the show is the win-win situation, which is so important. So people will ask us all the time, what type of interest do you pay? We've paid 0% interest. We've paid three, we've paid five, we've paid eight, we've paid double digits. It all depends on the deal. Okay. So that is where we put in our cash flow matrix and we make sure that it makes sense. Now, if your deal is so tight that if you don't get $5,000 off the purchase price, it doesn't make sense. Your deal is too tight anyway. Right? So, and what I mean by this is when we're negotiating with seller financing, it's a win-win. So do they necessarily get the price they want? Maybe, but then maybe we get the interest we want or give and take. And then so they win, we win. If we have to bring in a private investor into the deal, we give them an attractive, sorry, attractive interest rate. So they win in order for us to fund the deal. Like the office building we're in right now, million dollar office that we purchased this year, promissory note was our down payment, whoop, whoop. right? <laughs> exactly. So again, it works on all sorts, but it's it's a commercial building, right? There's a lawyer downstairs, a pharmacy, a psychiatrist, us upstairs, totally commercial. It works for all types of assets. So make sure you structure it win-win so that everyone wins. We only do deals that way. If someone has to lose for you to win, might not be the best deal. Now, the other thing is why people are doing this. At some point, we're going to have to pay the piper. And like you said earlier, uh, the government has been spending a lot of money. And this is something that right now, the, the, and I'm not, I don't want to get all techie with people here and I'm not an accountant. Uh, Full disclosure. I'm definitely not an accountant or a lawyer, but <laughs> the, the capital gains inclusion rate is 50% right now. 
there's talks of going up to 75 and people think that'll never happen. It has happened before. It is on the table. And, and, and there's been an election. I'm not political. I don't care. Either way, I'm a real estate investor. What if it does go up to 75 and now people are selling and now it becomes a buyer's market? So these are things that sellers are thinking about. They see these things. They can sell their asset now at the 50% inclusion rate. They can take that and they can spread their capital gains over five years uh, to get the best bang for their their, 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 sorry, their taxes. And then they make interest, right? Again, they're doing it for a reason. It works in hot markets. It's not going to work for every deal. But a hot, like we're looking, we're negotiating some in Miami. We're doing some in Vancouver. Or we're doing some in the GTA. We're negotiating some stuff. So people say that it doesn't work. It works everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'm glad you said that because for those of you that are listening to the podcast, if you're thinking about, you know, seller financing right now, that's a great thing to bring up to your sellers and say, well, you might want to consider if you're thinking of being, you know, selling in the next couple of years, I would do it sooner rather than later because this is why. And as the investor, if you really want to close the deal, one, you got to know what you're talking about. And two, you got to be able to explain it. And so uh, would you guys say that that is kind of what helped you guys along the way? Because I think a big challenge is um, real estate investors that are just starting in the business, they're going, let's say, to a lender, to a seller, and they're trying to pitch their idea to them, and it doesn't work. And they say, well, it doesn't work. What would you tell them? I would say practice makes perfect <laughs> and it really does. Yeah. You will get more comfortable and you're going to learn. Uh, you're going to walk away from some chats and you go, oh, and Dave and I, uh, because we we did it at first. Now we sometimes divide and conquer, but at first we did it together. And, and I'd say like, oh, why, would, why did you say it that way? It sounded aggressive or it came out the wrong way. And he'd, he'd come back and say something to me as well. Like, oh, maybe next time don't say that. You should say this instead. And we just got better and better at better. Um, obviously, showing your exit strategy numbers is really, really important to to, to lenders. It's it's money. It, it's uh, it's not an emotional transaction they're doing here. It has to be strategic. Has to be numerical. So we always show uh, our exit strategy with our with our cash flow matrix to lenders as well. But just keep practicing and don't be afraid to reflect, self reflect. If you're doing it with, uh, if you have a partner, whether it's a business partner or a spouse have a conversation. Would you change something different? Um, and reflect and make sure to really explain the benefits to them as well. Yeah. You know, um, uh, my first coach who I have high regard for the biggest thing he used to say is role play, role play, role play, role play, like do it as much as you can. And then even role play right before you go to that appointment and meeting them or right before you make that phone call to start negotiating role play. And, and the more you have to verbally explain it, the better you may understand how it is up here, but trying to like get it out there sometimes is a little bit trickier. <laughs> um, Danielle, yeah, can ahead. I stop you? Yeah, just, yeah, just to say something, because this is something I forget where I was listening to this the other day, but you just said something. So anyone that's listening, think about this. Danielle just said my first coach. So you've had, you, you've gone to coaches, you've gone to mentors, you spent money on yourself. Mel and I have done the same thing where I think we're up to like 250. This isn't boasting. This is just to give a number, guys. Yeah. $250,000 in our own personal development, coaching, mentors, all and that we're stuff. We're never going to stop. No, we're never going to stop. <laughs> and I wish I spent more money sooner. Now, this is just a concept that I remember when I was Mr. Cheapo, when I was a firefighter driving from grocery store to grocery store to get that discount. I was thinking like a consumer, okay? If you're going to be a real estate investor, at some point, if you want to leapfrog, if you want to scale, and instead of doing it with your time, 
you can leapfrog with your knowledge and other people's knowledge. All the, all the really successful people in life have gotten to coach, have gotten a mentor, have invested in themselves to make themselves better. So I know that's not what we want to talk about today, Danielle, but when you said that, I thought we invest, you invest so many other people that we meet, uh, they've invested in themselves and they never say, oh, I wish I didn't spend money on my own knowledge. I've never heard that once from highly successful people. A hundred percent. And you know, it's, it, it's, what's interesting. Cause you know, you're, you're at the 250 K app. I'm, I'm at the hundred and probably, well, at this point I'm North of a hundred K. I don't know how far North cause I've just bought a few other things recently. <laughs> like, a lot of money. We, it it's is, a lot of money. it really is. But like you said, you got to think about it as an investor and you start thinking about as an investor, you start thinking about the ROI. And I know you guys have probably done this. We're, I'm looking at it going, okay, ROI on my time. Because if I get the education, I don't have to make the mistakes. So I'm going to avoid costly mistakes, by the way. So just that in itself pays for the coaching. And then secondly, is that you get to exponentially create that success a lot faster because you have the knowledge. And the one thing that I keep telling people is that you can't undo knowledge. Like once you've paid and you've learned it, you can't undo it. You can just get better. And so you don't lose that. Uh, but at the end of the day, like a, you know, a, a surgeon doesn't go into surgery without having put the time in to learn first, right? I can't imagine going into a surgery room to do heart surgery and never having done the education. Of course, I'm going to make a mess of it. So, um, so yeah, if you're going to be a real estate investor, take it seriously. I'm all for that, but it doesn't start at a hundred grand or 200 grand. It starts at a hundred bucks seminar or $500, you know, um, day event or whatever, but you got to start somewhere. Right. So I fully agree with that. So I don't want to scare everybody with these big numbers, but, um, if you start, just start small and then you'll grow. Love that though. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, not just on the real estate side or the investment side, but you also got to invest into your mindset as well and, and, and into your personal self as well. Um, but yeah, okay, squirrel. We started squirreling and we're going to end up squirreling. Well, I know, it's a squirrel. It's a squirrel show. I love it. It's the squirrel right, show. <laughs> Um, but you know what? Well, visionary squirrel a lot. That's just, I get told, actually, look, this is what my assistant bought me. So for those of you who are listening, um, can you see that? It says my spirit animal is a squirrel. So it's funny that we're actually doing that. Okay. So I have my coffee every morning in that. Um, but yeah, um, Ooh, get back on track, Danielle. Here we go. Okay. So it's Mel and Dave. It's the Let's Get Real Estate Podcast show. We are going to wrap it up on that note. Um, before we go, though, uh, was there? I know you guys are doing a lot of classes and events and stuff like that for people. Uh, was there anything that you wanted to throw out there to the audience who might want to find out a little bit more? We're talking about coaching, education. That's what you guys do now. You're giving back to the community, which I absolutely love and I love to endorse. So uh, what do you got going on? Yeah, we, I mean, we have a, our, our action family mentoring program where that's what we do. We show people how to buy properties using none of your own money and no joint venture partners. And if you're interested, just send us a DM. We're on all social media platforms. It's always Investor Mel Dave. So it's pretty easy to find us, whether it's on YouTube we're even on TikTok, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. So just send us a message, Investor Mail Dave, and we'll be able to uh, schedule a call with one of our mentorship specialists and they'll be able to tell you all about our program and go in more detail there. 
Absolutely love it. You guys are a wealth of knowledge and experience. And um, for those of you who want to find out a little bit more about that, everything will be written in the show notes. So don't stress about having to write it down or if you forget it, whatever, just go to the Real Estate Podcast website um, or you can check on the show notes, whatever platform you're using. It'll be all written down there. So you'll be able to connect with them, connect with me if you have a question. Don't forget to like if you like the squirrel show that we had today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like the show, share it with people if you think somebody in your network or in your circle could uh, benefit from hearing what we're talking about. And of course, you want to make sure to subscribe and hit that notification bell so that you can be the first to find out uh, what's going on when we release a new episode. And lastly, this is my ask from everybody. Please comment because I want to hear from the audience. What did you like? What didn't you like? Yes, I said that. What didn't you like? And the reason why is because then I know what you're looking for. So let me know because I really want to see um, what you guys think so that I can deliver more of what you love. Mel and Dave, thank you so much for again coming on my it's show. A pleasure. We had so much fun. <laughs> Thanks for having Thanks, us Danielle. back again, Danielle. We appreciate yeah, we it. We appreciate it. And thank you for all the listeners as well. We appreciate your time too. You guys are amazing. Just amazing. This is Danielle Chason at the Let's Get Real Estate podcast. This is where real people are doing real estate. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast and congratulations on improving your education real estate. Please leave a review only if you felt we provided value as it would really help us if you would leave a five-star review so that we can help reach a broader audience. And don't forget to comment what you enjoyed and tell us what you're looking to learn more about. As always, thanks for your support and we'll see you on the next episode.